Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. And then um, as of uh, last week with all the persecution, with Stephen uh, giving his life for Christ and and, um, Saul beginning to persecute the church, um, it went to Judea. And this morning we see the gospel go to the people of Samaria and their lives are changed, souls are saved. According to God's word here, it was first taken there by Philip. Like Stephen, he was one of the original deacons in the church. I, I suppose Really, this is actually the second uh, incursion of the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ into Samaria because Jesus went there, right? The woman at the well, uh, her life changed. Many in that town receiving Christ as their Savior because of her testimony. Before we study this verse by verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this section of Scripture that you give us here. And as we, we read uh, and, and study and, and hopefully respond to the truths that you have for us here, in the book of Acts, Lord, I pray that we'd see it so much more than, than a mere historical account, um, but, but seeing the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that's still available to us today so that we can, like them, continue the work of Jesus Christ as his followers here in our community and, um, and around the world. And I pray that, Lord, we would follow their example, that we would learn from their mistakes, that we would uh, pattern our ministries, our lives after their success. Teach us through your word this morning. I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, in verses 5 through 8, it's a record of the preaching of Philip. Uh, the gospel is announced. Acts 8, 5 tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, which was in the region of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. Uh, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they had repeatedly rejected the gospel, at least after Pentecost. Um, they had just recently increased the level of persecution to all Christians. And so Philip leads the way, moving the gospel proclamation from here uh, to there. And then finally, it goes everywhere. How did the people of Samaria respond to Philip's preaching? Look at verse 6. It says that the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. They did not reject Jesus Christ as God's promised Messiah. They received him as their Savior. They repented and believed. Now, I'm sure you're aware from passages in the gospel accounts, other parts of Scripture, that generally speaking, the Jews hated Samaritans. (laughs) Samaritans. <laughs> uh, they considered them compromising half-breeds. Um, when, when Israel went into exile, when, when Babylon came and took them away, and, took, and then Persia took over Babylon, um, when, when people like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and Daniel were taken out, they didn't just take people out, they also moved people in. And some of those people married Jewish people that stayed behind, and that's who the Samaritans ended up being. A lot of of, uh, deep-seated prejudice between these people. The Jewish people saw them as uh, a group of individuals who had corrupted the worship uh, of God. You may remember that interaction that Jesus had with that woman at the well. 
Uh, they weren't allowed to go worship in Jerusalem, so they worshiped in their own place. Um, yeah, deep-seated prejudice. In fact, Jesus at one point had to correct two of his disciples, James and John, and Luke 9, uh, a Samaritan village rejected the, the gospel that Jesus was preaching, and, and James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy the whole uh, village. And even that account mentioned earlier, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, it, it illustrates for us there, there was a genuine tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. What did Philip do? He saw them as people lost in need of a Savior. He saw them as people who would spend an eternity somewhere. And Philip preached Christ to them. Because Philip had experienced the love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, and because the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ now lived in him, there was no room at all for any kind of prejudice in his heart. The deacon Philip obeyed the command of Christ in the Great Commission of Acts 1-8, he witnessed to these people in the Samaritan city out of Christ-like love. And in Holy Spirit power, they received Jesus as their Savior. That's the gospel announced. Now, the rest of verse 6, on into verse six or verse 8, uh, we see the gospel uh, authenticated here. Uh, one thing that's very common in, in the book of Acts, we've seen it so far, we're going to see it uh, more, and it's something that might make us a little jealous, from righteously jealous from time to time. Uh, is the presence, uh, really in Acts, the, the, the prevalence uh, of the Christians in the early church doing and, and experiencing what is described here as miracles and signs and, and wonders. Um, the end of verse 6, if you look at that, it describes God's purpose in having these early church Christians continue the work of Christ this way. It says they gave heed, the Samaritans gave heed to those things that Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And verse 7 gets specific about what Jesus did by his Holy Spirit through Philip here. Let's read that. It says, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice that came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and, and that were lame, they were healed. And verse 8 tells us the end result. What is it? It's great joy. It's great joy in that city. And see, the reason that, that miracles and signs and wonders were performed by God through these early Christian witnesses of the gospel was in order to authenticate uh, their gospel message. It was to validate what they were saying. It was to confirm that the gospel message about salvation through faith in Christ that, that they were sharing, it was truth. <laughs> and it was from God. And I agree. It's awesome to read about how God work these miracles uh, through them. And so it's no wonder that we might be a little righteously jealous, longing to experience similar things in, in our day. But you know what? I think they would be a little jealous of us. I do. Um, because of what we have that they did not. We have the entire Word of God. They did not. Uh, they had the Old Testament. None of the Gospels were written. No Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John yet. No epistles, letters to the churches from Peter or, or John or Paul. There wasn't even a Paul yet. He's still Saul. We're getting there. Uh, these early church missionaries, they, they couldn't share the gospel. They couldn't lead someone to receive Christ as their Savior by, by taking them through the Romans road or, or by handing them a, a gospel tract. They just testified about uh, in their words, about, about who Jesus is and what he had done in their life. 
what he was offering them in salvation. Uh, God gave them the gift to perform these miracles and signs and wonders in Holy Spirit power to authenticate that verbal gospel witness uh, that they shared. Now, does God do these kinds of signs and wonders now through his people, just like we read about here? I'm, I'm beyond hesitant to put, ever put God in a box that he doesn't put himself in. Um, I've heard of missionaries in secluded foreign lands, places like Papua New Guinea or South American jungles, where they might not have the Word of God. They might not have access to the Word of God like, like you and I do. Um, God work, working supernaturally through them in a very similar way uh, that we read about in, in Acts. But, but I do know this. When we have this miracle right here, and, and we don't pay a whole lot of mind, give a whole lot of heed to it, God's under no obligation whatsoever to send any other types of miracles our way. Amen? I mean, we have something better than, than they have. At, at this moment, I have three uh, different Bible versions on my phone with, with commentaries. Uh, I have four to five in my office. I have just as many uh, at home. Uh, anybody who does a simple Google uh, search can bring up plenty uh, of free Bibles for anyone who would want to see what God has to say. There's not a more widely available or disseminated book in, in the world, at least in our culture. And at this moment, uh, we've all come here together this morning and um, every time that we do, we, we, truly, we experience something that is no less supernatural or, or miraculous. The Holy Spirit, who's present here in the lives of every single follower of Jesus Christ, he takes the living word of God that I'm speaking, that you're meditating on, uh, that we sing about, and he presents it, its truth to us. And he calls us to respond by aligning ourselves with its truths. And when we do, there's nothing more supernatural or miraculous than that. We couldn't do it on our own. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. Now let's look at the problem with Simon. We're introduced to a, a fellow here, beginning in verse 9, um, named Simon the Sorcerer. And in verses 9 to 13, it speaks of Simon's profession of salvation. The verse describes him as having bewitched the, the people of Samaria. Actually, twice it said that in this passage. Um, by using sorcery, he was portraying himself as some great one. In, in those words, there's actually an implication that he, he may have claimed to be a Messiah. Uh, and he had the people of Samaria so under his control that in verse 10, it says that before they received Jesus as their Savior, they all gave him heed to the point that most of them recognized him as the power of God. They saw him as divine. Now, we understand from the terms that are used to describe him here, like, like sorcery, that's obviously something that God's word uh, prohibits, and, and with how he's portrayed in, in this section of Scripture, we understand that his power did not come from God. Whatever real power Simon displayed, it, its source was from Satan. It wasn't from God. His power brought him what he sought, and that was fame. That's what verse 11 tells us. To him they had regard. And that is what's an additional evidence that the wonders and the works that Simon had done, they were not from a heart that wanted to honor Jesus Christ or lead others to him. And we find out in verses 12 and 13 that not only did a great number of people from the Samaritan city believe in Christ and were baptized, it says that Simon the sorcerer did as well. Look at verse 12. 
But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Well, we can't move on without calling into question the the validity of Simon's conversion. There's no doubt he, he made a profession of salvation. He believed, says he was baptized. Uh, But his way of thinking (laughs) and his way of acting afterwards that's described in the rest of this passage, it it would give us cause for concern. Uh, There are a few indications that Simon was not truly born again. While, While it does say that he believed, only God knows if that was more than just a mere intellectual assent, because that can occur, right? In, in James uh, 2.19, God tells us that even the demons <laughs> believe, and they tremble. Nowhere in this passage does it say that Simon received the Holy Spirit. However, we're about to learn um, that the rest of the Samaritan believers did. Overall, uh, even after his professed salvation experience, Simon continued to have a self-centered interest in the display of miraculous power rather than an interest in promoting Jesus Christ. Now, in contrast, let's look at the Samaritans, everybody else who believed in that city. Look at their possession of salvation. Uh, Verses 14 to 17, they describe something that is unique to this era in the early Christian church. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So that's a little odd. Normally, at this point in church history, how things work in our day, uh, the Holy Spirit is given to us the very moment that we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. He comes to indwell us, and he desires to fill us. But according to these verses, there is a delay in that normal pattern that's described here. Um, Those who believed in Jesus, they were baptized, but they did not immediately receive the Holy Spirit. And the apostles in Jerusalem, they get word of, of what's going on in Samaria. And so Peter and John are sent down to check it out for themselves. As we read in verses 15 and 16, it reveals to us that the new believers, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit when they received Jesus as their Savior. In verse 17, the apostles lay their hands on them and they receive the Holy Ghost, giving clear evidence that in contrast to Simon, they possessed the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. Now, now why did God give believers the Holy Spirit this way, this time, right here? We're not explicitly told, um, but there's a couple of good reasons that have been suggested. There are some Christians who incorrectly believe this passage uh, here is teaching a a second baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of of a Christian. They would teach that, um, yes, we receive the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ as Savior, but but then if we just live uh, the right life and if we're open to the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will fill us a second time and he'll take us to a place in life where we're no longer impacted uh, by temptation. We won't ever again yield to sin. I can't find that in God's word anywhere. There's not one record of a subsequent um, receiving of the Holy Spirit. 
There is, however, a few more instances of what went on here going on, and each time, every single time, it's always with new non-Jewish Christians. And so I wonder, did God do it this way so that the apostles, who were all Jewish, (laughs) and the deacons, like Stephen and Philip, and who who were raised in an environment They were raised in a culture of prejudice toward the Samaritans and and toward the Gentiles. Did God do it this way so so that they would be a part of uh, them being given the Holy Spirit, them receiving the Holy Spirit? So so there was no question of God wanting them to be a part of Christ's redeemed church? I I think so. Did God do it this way so so that ethnic differences (laughs) and the divisions that they can wrongly cause even among Christians? It wouldn't result in a division of the church, a schism at this infant stage. I think so. God, right now, God did not need a Jewish church and a Samaritan church, especially since they lived in the same geographical area and spoke the same language. Uh, referencing when God tore that, that temple veil. You remember that at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? Um, God's word says in Ephesians 2, 14 to 16, that Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile. He has made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, (laughs) the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and to reconcile them to God through the cross. And now in verses 18 and 19, we find out that Simon saw all of this happening, them receiving the Holy Ghost with the apostles laying their hands on them, and he wanted some of this, bestowing the Holy Spirit power himself. He offered Peter and John some sweet moolah, if they would teach him how to do that, if he give them this ability. And look at Peter's response in verse 20. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Peter discerned that that Simon wanted to control the working of the Holy Spirit, and that Simon regarded the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ as a power that he could use however he wanted, instead of uh, seeing the Holy Spirit as a person who should rule his life. An incorrect view. Look at his motive back in verse 19 saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Simon didn't even want the Holy Spirit for himself necessarily, just the ability to impart the power of the Holy Spirit to others at his will. And Simon's sin was a desire to possess spiritual power, but only for personal, materialistic ends. You know, church, is another false teaching. It's, it's a false gospel uh, that just about dominates any religious programming you'll find on your television or even on computer. Um, a, a prosperity gospel, it's not a shred different than what we're reading about right here, what Simon is guilty of, of here. It's a false doctrine taught by those in, in, in what's called the New Apostolic Reformation. It twists God's word. It, it teaches that, that if you just honor God enough, if you just have enough faith, And maybe if you sow a financial seed to that particular ministry, that's usually in there as well, God will heal you. God will financially prosper you. You'll have nothing but success in life because that's what God wants for you. I've yet to figure out how that 
lifestyle, how the lifestyle and experiences of Jesus <laughs> or, or the Apostle Paul fit into that teaching. No, I believe we have all the proof we need uh, to call out that destructive heresy. Um, in the words of Pastor John Piper, prosperity in this world cannot be proof of God's favor to you because it's exactly what the devil promises those who follow him. <laughs> because I love you, I warn you to watch out for this heresy. Word of faith or prosperity theology, it is exactly what Simon the sorcerer was involved in here. Seeing the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ as a power to use for whatever the believer wills. No, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person who enables us to do God's will. Amen? There's two big differences there. So Peter warns Simon... <laughs> He calls them to repentance in verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter was willing to tell Simon the truth in love, and we need to love each other enough to do the same. You know, we have a warning in this passage here that, that anybody who thinks that, that just because he or she may have made a profession uh, of faith uh, uh, by intellectually assenting to the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done, uh, or even if someone publicly goes through uh, the waters uh, of baptism, um, those things are no assurance that someone has trusted in Christ as Savior. Not, there, will, there will be new life. There was not new life for Simon. There, there will be. There will be a walking in newness of life. Not to be saved, but because you have truly been saved. There will be new affections. That's what we call it here. There will be new affections. Things you cannot live without now, like reading God's word, praying, assembling together, serving Jesus Christ. You, you would never cared much for that before you came to Christ. There will be new aversions. Things that you, you couldn't imagine living life without before you trusted in Christ as Savior. Now you have little taste for them. Simon did not have any of that. Really just the same old, same old, just a different way. And sadly, verse 24 informs us of Simon's response to Peter's call to repentance. Simon says in verse 24, Please pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And that right there, I believe, is the greatest evidence that Simon might have professed salvation through faith in Christ, but he never possessed it. Uh, instead of humbling his heart before God, instead of confessing his sin and prayer to God himself, he asked Peter to do it for him. Pray to the Lord for me. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit was present in his life, but only so that he would be spared the consequences of his sin, not because he had fallen in love with Jesus. <laughs> There's no humble repentance here. There's no turning from the sin uh, Baptist pastor and seminary professor James Montgomery Boyce said of Simon here, his words are what we would call in our language a cop-out when he asked Peter to do this. He's refusing to do what God told him to do through Peter's invitation, and he's just passing the buck to Peter. Would you hear God's word this morning? I can't believe for you. The preacher cannot do that as much as I may want to. I, I can't repent for you. I, I've got enough repenting to do of my own. Uh, I can pray for you. I do. I can point you to what God's word says. But, but you have to respond to the Holy Spirit yourself. And you will. Even if you don't respond in the positive, you're responding. You'll either receive his work in your life 
or you'll reject it. You'll quench it. Let's look at the partnership of the apostles. Verse 25, it says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Uh, Before we look at this verse, I just kind of want to go back to verse 14 to 17 because we see the welcome of the Samaritans by Peter and John on behalf of all the Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And I think it's worth a second glance. In verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received people that they did not care for much, and the Samaritans, uh, the feeling was reciprocal. But when they had heard that they received the word of God, they sent on them Peter and John, who when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And that's what they do in verses 16 and 17. Uh, We cannot minimize the the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of everybody involved here. I mean, deep-seated, hundreds of years long division between the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans. What happened? Well, they got a, yeah, they found Jesus. (laughs) What happened? They got a new identity now. Being Jewish or being Samaritan or, or being Gentile is not the most important thing. Their primary identity is now in Jesus Christ. Man, what a beautiful thing to see what, what Paul uh, would later describe in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Woo! That's what this world needs to hear today because it's in a mess. And if we think that CRT or some human devised plan is going to address that need, it's not. And if we think that just trying to get along is not, this is not a petty issue. This is deep-seated sin, thousands of years long, and it comes from Satan just like any other sin. But we have the power to address it. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what can answer that because in order to reconcile, like Paul said in Ephesians, in order to reconcile these two opposing groups together, the only thing that could do that was Jesus dying on the cross. And the good news is that he did it. The good news is that he did it. You know, um, I heard one pastor say, it don't matter what color that message comes out of from the preacher. It could be black, it could be white. The only color that matters is Red, the blood of Jesus Christ, because that's what can reconcile this. And that's what we see here now. We, we aren't most importantly black or white or this political party or that political party or West Bladen or East Bladen or uh, E-Town or Bladenboro or uh, from the right side of the river, or Craig calls me from somewhere else. I mean, we're not, that's not what's most important. If we're in Christ, we should love and embrace all who are in Christ, just like these apostles did to these new Samaritan believers here. And that's from verse 25. We see their witness to the Samaritans. The apostle followed this deacon, uh, Philip. His, they followed his Christ-like love and burden for these unreached people. Verse 25 tells us the apostles continued preaching there in the city of Samaria. And, and then they had a little mission trip on their way back to Jerusalem. It says they preached the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. And why not? I mean, if God's on the move, if the Holy Spirit's saving people, what a joy to be a part of it. Teaming up to reach the lost with the good news that changes lives and gives eternal life. Listen, don't do what Simon did. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you want to follow him, just because um, you might have heard or you hope that he'll give you a new job or uh, 
a new house or he'll fix your marriage or he'll fatten your wallet. That's not salvation. That's not salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. In fact, that's idolatry is what that is. Receive him as Savior because you need him. <laughs> because you're, you're destined for an eternity in hell without him. Receive him as your Savior because he's worthy, as we sung this morning. Follow Jesus because you love Jesus. Now, you might say, I was baptized. Well, I hope so. But have you ever repented and believed? Otherwise, you're just a once wet sinner. You might say, well, I try to come to church. These pews are here 24-7. There's not a one of them that's saved. I mean, not, not a piece of furniture. It doesn't matter where you are. Have you repented and believed? And if you haven't, do that right now. I mean, even as I'm talking, don't wait. Call out to Christ. If the Holy Spirit's moving you to this morning, tell him right now that you trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for you to save you from your sin. Begin to follow him today. Receive the Holy Spirit who's moving your heart to do that right now. Christian, we need some Phillips today. Amen? We do. We need a Philip who's so burdened for those who are headed to a Christless eternity in hell, they're not going to let cultural preferences or ethnic or social or any other kind of bias, uh, what someone looks like or smells like or votes like, they're not going to let them keep them from sharing the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. Look, there's, I think there's someone for every single one of us here this morning, and God's Holy Spirit says, I need you to be a Philip to them. Very different from you. They might grind your gears. Someone that God's bringing to your mind right now at this moment. Will you bow? Will you? Will you bow in prayer for him? As we have a time of, of response and invitation this morning, would you ask God get your life transforming word to them and use me? Use me. Um, should you present the opportunity. As Tommy comes and we have a time to respond, however the Holy Spirit's using the word of God this morning to call you to respond, I just ask that you'd obey.